The text comes from 1 John 4, verses 8 and 16, and Romans 5, 5. 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. In Romans 5. The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Britton Manning in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, says that... uh, The word for new life in Christ, taken from John, has just been appropriated for less than 100 years, being born again. But prior to that time, the church used other phrases, and particularly in the American South, the favorite phrase that he writes was, to be grasped by the power of a great affection. I love that phrase. I think we could probably translate it to be grasped by love. I love it because in it, God takes the initiating action. God seizes, God moves, God initiates, God reaches out with his great love. Then it seems to me that the phrase is also wonderful because it so vividly portrays the explosion that comes inside of a heart. When God becomes real, when his face becomes Christ, when he comes alive in us, we are seized by the power of a great Love. Jesus came preaching a gospel, a good news. And he said that the major problem of your life isn't Rome, it isn't the law, it isn't even your wickedness. It is coming to terms and dealing with amazing, relentless, bold love of God. He came preaching a gospel, a good news of God's initiatory love and the opportunity to respond to it. So how do we speak of that love? Never well enough. A.W. Tozer says, We can do no more justice to that awesome and wonder-filled theme than a child can grasp a star. Still, by reaching towards the star, the child may call attention to it and even indicate the direction that one must look at it. So this morning, I hardly hope to get very far up the Mount Everest of God's love. But I do hope for us to stand on tiptoe together and look in the right direction. God is love. First of all, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean love is God. By saying God is love, John was not equating love with exhausting God. Doing that has been the source of bad philosophy and vapid poetry and maudlin music. If love is God, then love and God are identical. They exhaust all of his attributes. They are the one thing God no longer becomes personal. He's not the God of the Bible or the prophets or the reformers or the martyrs or the hymn writers. Love being God may be the God of John Lennon, but it's not the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Since I've alluded to John Lennon, let me allude to what I'm giving him and the other Beatles credit for, kind of 
correct ironic insight when they sing, all you need is love, da, 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 falling, I think it's ironic. I think they saw the impossibility, the hollowness, the shallowness of just putting it this way. No, love isn't God, but God is love. That means that love is essential to God. Love is true of God all the way down. He loves because it's his nature to love. One theologian puts it this way, God always acts like himself, and he never suspends one part of himself to exercise another. The letter of John that we just read from puts it this way, he who does not love does not know God because God is love. To speak about God without knowing love, without loving, John says, is ridiculous. The English New Testament scholar C.H. Dodd analyzed it this way, God is love is clearly intended to go further than the proposition God loves us. So let me reiterate that this morning. We're not speaking this morning about our love for God, or even God's love for us, but something deeper. God is love, now back to Dodd, should stand alongside other statements such as God creates, God rules, God judges. To say that God is love means that love is not just one of God's activities or the only of God's activities. To say God is love implies that all of God's activities are loving. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. All that he does is an expression of his nature, which is to love. Now, that's a New Testament scholar, prosaic. I found a preacher who says the same thing, but more poetically. Again, it's A.W. Tozer, same insight. Listen to it. Raised a key rhetorically. Because of self-existence, because God is self-existent, if we can know his love had no beginning. Because he's eternal, his love can have no end. Because he is infinite, his love can have no limit. Because he is holy, his love is the essence of purity. And because he is immense, we know his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea before which we kneel in joyful silence and from which the loftiest eloquence retreats. Confused and abashed. Twice, verse 8 and verse 16. We are told and we have heard that God is love. It means that love is the essence of his nature and his being. God loves, but not in an incidental or haphazard way. In verse after verse, it intones, God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in In him, once again, we see that God's love is connected to his very being, for to abide in him is to abide in his love. John is not saying that love is God. He is saying that love is the most basic and most pervasive fact about God's nature. Then, Love shows itself in its indefatigable intention to will the good for the other. It never wills harm or evil. Look at John's words. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. 
My friend Doug Stevens, who has preached uh, several times from this pulpit, I recall on several occasions called anger the sentinel of the soul. I love that phrase. And our anger is the sentinel of the soul, stands on guard. And what could it mean? Well, if that's true, if it's true, then fear is the sentinel's motivation. Fear is the emotion that arises the thought that we may be harmed or made to suffer by someone or something. And the world is full of enemies, and so long as we are subject to the possibility of harm from enemies, fear is inevitable. Fear is wise. Fear is appropriate. The attempt to conquer fear without removing the causes is simply futile. So as long as we are in the hands of chance, as long as we have to look for our hope from the law of averages or beating them, as long as we must trust for survival on our ability to outthink or outmaneuver our enemies, we have every good reason to be fearful. But to know God is love is to know that in Christ you can lean into the everlasting, ever-loving arms of Christ. And this and only this can cast out fear. Become convinced that nothing can harm you and fear is banished, as Martin Luther wrote, the body they may kill. But God's truth, we could paraphrase that, God's love. Abideth still and his kingdom is forever. God is love. Then that means to say that love confers value on another. Love is the attitude which confers and sees value. Love has to do with respect. Josh McDowell, in one of his books, says there are many counterfeits for love. He names two, love if and love because. Love if, he says, goes this way. I love you if you please me. I love you if you perform. I love you if you live up to my expectations. I love you if you succeed. Love, if, he writes, damages and diminishes human life. It plays on our needs and vulnerabilities. We are so desperate for human love that we are held hostage to those who offer us love, if. And from it, we learn that love has to be based on performance. Love, if, sends out the message that love is conditional and you're going to be judged. Then love, because offers a similar but somewhat different set of criteria. It's based on externals. I love you because you are beautiful. I love you because you are wealthy. I love you because you are pleasant. We receive the message that we can be loved because of what we have rather than what we are. And these two counterfeit loves send out messages to us that love is accidental and love is external. But if God is love, It means he loves us with a love which is absolute, which is unconditional. God is love. And Psalm 8, Proverbs, rather, 828 reads, Money cannot buy love. If a man offered his whole world for love, it would be scorned. Love is the greatest treasure. And because of that, it cannot be bought. 
The greatest gift you can be given in God's creation in love is love, the love of parents and of siblings and of children, of a spouse, of brothers and sisters in Christ, and ultimately of the God whose love will not let you go. Because love prizes its object. Love posits its worth. To love one another is to see them of inestimable importance, not for what you can get back, but for what they are. Love has many hues and many colors, and I've shared with you, and I'll just summarize C.S. Lewis's great book in which he describes three, love, storge love, which is affection like for animals, and philia love, which is love for friends, and erotic love, which is romantic love, and then he says all those loves are important, but God's love surpasses them all because rather than being object-controlled, it is subject-controlled. And in my favorite sentence for love outside of Scripture, he writes, God makes his beloved lovely not in what he finds in her, but in his own loving of her. All other loves are some form of need love. God's love is gift love. Need love takes, gift love gives. Really to be loved is to be filled. God is love. Amazingly, that does share some aspects of other love, even romantic love. Romantic love reaches out. Romantic love wants to connect. And to say that God is love, amazingly says that God reaches out to connect with his people. Part of the amazing grace of God of which we sang is the unbelievable fact that God wants a relationship with his finite creatures and he seizes us with his love and he reaches out to us with it, self-sufficient as he is. He wants our love and will not be satisfied until he gets it. Free as he is, he has let his heart be bound to us forever. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be propitiation for our sins. I said Romans 5, 5 would be part of our text. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts. Just three quick points on that. The verb point out means literally to be flooded. And it's not our love for God, but His for us. We are to be flooded with the love of God. As a, as a valley is filled with a lake, it's perfect tense, which means that's completed. It's not punctiliar. And we are to go on with the confidence that God's love is an episodic. It's not, to, not something we get on retreat on a hillside. He expects us. He expects, Paul expects his listeners to know that the foundation and pillar of their lives from which they are to make every decision and move forward from is that they are flooded, past perfect tense, and filled with the love of God. So the love of God is one of the great realities of the universe. It is a pillar and a foundation upon which everything we do as Christians are to be based. It is cosmic, but it's also personal. God doesn't just love populations. He loves people. When Doug and Lita are on missions, and when we are too, they are doing it person by person and voice by voice and name by name. When God came back, in his son from beyond the grave, he came calling names, Don and Jim and Alice and Beth and Bryce, personal. 
You can fill your life with things or you can fill your life with love. And the only filling love is found in life's author and life's end. At one of the churches I served as interim, there was a church secretary who had spent her career in the military. And the first time she heard the gospel of Christ, she said yes. I heard her testimony one night. I didn't know it, but she said I was raised... on the tar beaches of New York City, Manhattan. I've never heard that phrase before or since. I went up to her after, where, where are they? She said, oh, those are the rooftops. I've only seen those and seen them a lot in uh, movies and TV shows. But said, so that was my playground, the tar beaches of New York City. I was the child of an alcoholic father and a bookie mother. And she said, when I came to Christ... He showed me the father I never had and another brother to love and a friend who knew my inmost heart, my solace, my light, and my delight. God is love. And that is the promise that will fill you and flood you and never let you go. Living and loving God. We know there is nothing in us that could attract the love of one as holy and as just as you are. Yet in Jesus Christ you have declared an unending and an undying love for us. If nothing in us could ever win or deserve your love, it is even more true that nothing in the universe can prevent your love. Your love is uncaused and undeserved. You are yourself the reason for the love wherewith we are loved. So help us to believe the intensity and the eternity of the love that has found us. Then love will cast out fear. And our troubled hearts can be at peace. Trusting not in what we are, but in what in Jesus Christ you have declared and shown yourself to be. God who is love. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.